The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Well, last week, the EU foiled Hamas terror plots in Germany and Denmark. But here's the thing. If you defend Hamas, which is what people are actually doing when they're calling for a ceasefire, well, then you have to understand that defending Hamas means you're also clearing the way for additional attacks. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So understand that these are very wealthy terror organizations And they are now planning attacks in Western countries. And yet we still have Biden staffers protesting outside of the White House where they work, calling for a ceasefire. These are actually his own employees that work in the White House, in his administration that are like, dude, you're wrong. We don't like your policies. Change them. They're openly criticizing their boss, their party's policies. And there's no other way to say this, but they're asking for Joe Biden to be soft on terror. We've talked about the soft on crime policies that they've had that have clearly not been working in the United States. But now they're saying, Joe, give a little space to these terrorists. Give them a little bit of space so that they can attack again in new places. I mean, that's what's going to happen. So I figured the best guy to break this down for us was my friend and also a guy that knows a little bit about Germany, Ambassador Rick Grinnell. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a real honor. Oh, well, I'm so happy you're here because I think we really need to start educating people on this. And honestly, I was talking just yesterday to a guy who is a pretty far left liberal, and he was like, we have to just go in and talk to the Palestinians and talk to Hamas, and this can all be cleared up. We're like, what? (laughs) Why do people think that? Look, let's let's start with a couple of facts that I think is really important for this discussion. One, um, you know, we've had uh, an election in the Palestinian territories that produced uh, Mahmoud Abbas in 2005. He was supposed to be there for five years. So he's now in his 18th year of his five year term. Uh, He keeps getting, um, you know, the support of the people. 
we have Iranian-backed groups, whether it's Hezbollah, Yemen, Houthis, um, Hamas. There's, there's just all sorts of Iranian-backed groups that have been well-funded by the Biden administration. Um, and, and let's be clear, too, that, that the Biden administration has this belief that engagement uh, will work. And so they've tried to engage with Iran. They, they believe, the Biden administration believes, that if you engage with Iran, that you can convince them to be a, a better player internationally. Now, I just fundamentally don't think that that's true. And I think that you have to benchmark your policies. I am for engagement in some instances. I think when Donald Trump engaged North Korea, for instance, a lot of people said, oh, don't do that. You know, they, they, it's not going to work, but it did work. So sometimes engagement works like with the North Koreans and sometimes engagement does not work like for 20 years trying to engage uh, the Iranians. I think that the policy that that President Trump put in p- place for Iran to uh, to really make them a pariah state, have them uh, internationally sanctioned, uh, you know, we were very clear in the Trump administration, you can either do business with Iran or the United States, you can't do both. And places like Germany and the German business community tro- chose to work with America. We were squeezing the Iranians. I, I personally, when I was ambassador in Germany, shut down uh, Mahan Air, uh, which was an Iranian airline going into Germany on a weekly basis from Tehran. We had intelligence showing that they were up to no good. And so I took that to, to Chancellor Merkel. She didn't want to do it, uh, but we, we forced her hand. And you know that when you do things like that, when you shut down the Iranian airline into Germany, you're not the most popular person. You're certainly not the most popular ambassador by doing something like that, by demanding it. But Tudor, you know, this is the right thing to do. And we don't seek to have the applause of the German public or the German government, we were seeking to to protect people. And I'll add one more point to that, which was um, when I was ambassador, it was really frustrating for me to see um, Hezbollah have operatives throughout Europe. And this is an Iranian-backed group having operatives in Europe. I went to Chancellor Merkel and I said, come on, we gotta shut down Hezbollah. It's a terrorist organization. And her answer to me was, well, we're a member of the EU, the Germans are, and so you have to go to Brussels and you have to convince the EU because we only work together. (laughs) And I remember pushing back saying, I could come up with like 12 things that Germany is doing (laughs) that is different than the EU. So you're picking and choosing when you want to be protected by the EU. But I tried, uh, I went to Brussels, um, I tried that, got nowhere came back to Germany, pressured the German government, continued to pressure them. They did not like it. The media did not like it. They, they thought I was being a bully. But guess what? We um, hired a German lawyer to produce a document, a white paper, on how the German government could make Hezbollah illegal under the German laws. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I had that done. I presented it to um, a guy named Jan Hecker, who was the national security advisor in Germany. He embraced it. And they moved the Bundestag. And Germany, when I was there, thanks to Donald Trump's pressure, outlawed Hezbollah. And they were, they were uh, outside of the EU. The EU didn't do it. The Germans did it. 
And so uh, now they're using that law to crack down on the other Iranian groups. So this is a perfect example to show you that when you are trying to do the right thing, it may not be popular in the beginning. You may not get the applause of the German government. You're going to get uh, attacked from those who just want you to be an ambassador to come over and play by their rules and, and you know, eat food and, and post about how great the wine is. But that wasn't me. And I think now I feel really good that, you know, the three issues that I worked on there, Nord Stream 2 should never come into fruition. And we, we, we did that and the Biden team brought it into fruition. They reversed our policy and, and I would argue created the war in Ukraine. Uh, NATO spending, the Germans, the largest economy in Europe, uh, are not spending their obligation of 2%. They're moving towards it. We pressured them, got a lot of bad press on that, but we continue to pressure them. They did increase. They're still not there, but they increased their spending. And then third, outline Hezbollah. I was really proud of all three of those. Very unpopular while I was there, but proven to be the right thing. So a lot of people have asked in a Trump administration, what would have happened on October 7th? Now, I know some people say October 7th wouldn't have happened. Say it did happen. How would a Trump administration be handling what's going on right now? We I just talked about Biden staffers standing outside. They're say they're calling it holding vigil outside the White House. Give me a break. They're not sitting there praying. They're out there saying we don't believe in they're protesting the, their own leader, who I have to say, is he really a leader if he has his staffers? And these are junior staffers out there that think that they have enough chutzpah, I guess, that they have enough power within the White, White House to stand outside and tell the president you're wrong. Yeah. What happens in a Trump administration when this goes on? <clears throat> well, first of all, the, this war would never have happened. Uh, there's no possible way that Hamas would have launched this under Donald Trump. So let's start with that premise. Um, under the scenario that it did happen or any kind of terrorist attack happens around the world, I think President Trump would let that company country deal with the terrorism at hand. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you have to appreciate the fact that after 9-11, we didn't want anyone telling us how to respond to the right. terrorist attack. Um, I, I'm all for uh, putting America first, establishing the rule of law, establishing capitalism, human rights, and, and kind of these global order, uh, you know, rules. We can do that. We should do that for ourselves. And I would argue that when America puts itself first, we're not a selfish nation. We're very generous. The people are very generous that the rules based system it works for everybody. And so when America puts itself first, it's a good thing for the rest of the world. And I think other leaders are clamoring for that. They want to see that. They don't want uh, Joe Biden to seek applause from the Europeans and try to come up with, you know, some compromises. I, I always say the opposite of America first is consensus with the UN or, or Europeans. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not what we want. And so I, I think you would see President Trump or, or any Republican kind of tell Israel, this is terrible attack. Let us know what we can do to help you. But, you know, you're in charge. But you what about what's happening on the ground here with these universities, with these protests, with students who are seemingly uneducated on the full spectrum of what's happening over there? And they're saying, oh, 
what about the the Palestinians where you have Hamas hiding amongst them? And, and I, and I want to point out that last week a poll came out that said that they during the ceasefire, they went in and surveyed Palestinians and more than 75 percent and in the West Bank, more than 80 percent of those folks said that they felt that October 7th was a good thing. Mm. Horrible. Um, look, this is a this is a real crisis um, for our young people who haven't been educated to listen to the other side. We have our um, high schools, even younger elementary schools, certainly our universities have taught our kids for 20 years to just um, not think critically, not to think about the other side, but to swallow the left uh, progressive argument run out of the room if you don't hear it, try to cancel someone if you mm. disagree with them and not just sit and listen. We've got to change the way we're teaching our kids. Our kids should be able to calmly hear both sides. When I was in college, it's gonna make me sound old, but when I was in college, um, we were for I went to a Christian school and we were forced to think about other issues, the other side, think critically sit and listen to arguments on the other side, calculate why you might think that, they, that they're wrong and then articulate that. Certainly not run out of the room, certainly uh, you know, not cancel someone who disagrees with you, but listen and learn. We've got to get back to that because we've got a whole generation of kids who literally do not know how to think critically and, and calculate uh, as they're listening to something that they disagree with why they would disagree. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I find it interesting because they fall into a category that would be immediately eliminated by the people they're defending. I mean, you are a champion for gay rights and you were one of the, well, you were the first openly gay cabinet member in government, correct? Is that right? I know that they like to say that that was Buttigieg, but it was not. So what I like to do is I like to make a joke out of it and say, yes, I I was the first over six feet tall. Because then they can't argue. They always like to try to say, oh, well, you know, he wasn't uh, confirmed. But but it, it's ridiculous. I was confirmed by the Senate. Um, and the Vacancies Act talks about how you get to be a cabinet official only if you've been confirmed by the Senate. So, you know, they go through loops. But you you know this world quite well, Tudor. They, they will say and do anything yes. just to undermine conservatives. It doesn't bother me anymore. But but you worked very hard. I think this is something that a lot of people don't know because the media likes to hide anything that the Trump administration did that folks would go, wow, that was really impressive. And you worked very hard to decriminalize homosexuality worldwide. And that that I think I mean, just like what you're talking about with Germany, people don't know the influence that the United States has, the people that can work to influence other countries who are doing horrible things, committing horrible atrocities against the LGBTQ community. Just a couple of days ago, you see that there was a highway shut down and the people out in the front of the, the shutdown were gays for Palestine. And they're out there and they're like, you know, we got to protect these people. That is a place that is not incredibly accepting of the LGBTQ community. So when you you talk to these people, you've been there. You've tried to decriminalize worldwide. What does it look like? What is the difference between the Western world and some of these places that you went to and said, stop treating people so horribly, stop murdering people? Yeah, well, thanks for the question. It's a really important one. Um, I, I think, you know, I, as you know, you know this about me. I grew up evangelical. I went to uh, a Christian school in um, Missouri undergrad. I went to Harvard for grad school. Um, I uh, very much appreciate the religious community and their commitment on on these issues. When we decided in the Trump administration to put together this decriminalization campaign, we decided just to focus on decriminalizing homosexuality in the 69 countries that criminalize it. Nine countries will kill you for being gay, but 69 Mm -hmm. make it a crime and can put you in prison. So what we decided to do is not do rainbow flags or push gay marriage or anything. We were going to just simply say, let's take the first step of making sure that it's not a crime to be gay. And when we did that, we had an 
a large chunk of the religious community say, you know what, we can get behind that. That shouldn't be a crime. Uh, we could talk about jurisdiction of the church for that, but it shouldn't be the jurisdiction of the state. And so uh, we had a lot of religious uh, groups join us. I briefed Mike Pence and Mike P Pence was supportive of this particular decriminalization campaign. What I tried to do is to, to get all of us working in the same direction on that first step. And it really did uh, make a difference. We made we started to make a big deal, um, big moves out of it by by just adding it as criteria when we were deciding whether or not we were going to um, fund a country with foreign aid. President Trump was very keen on understanding and, and learning how, how do they deal uh, with gays and lesbians? Do they make it a crime? And and that way, that pressure of just saying, you know, we're not going to fund programs that we don't believe uh, really became uh, something that that other countries noticed and were beginning to make changes for. I'm always hesitant to talk about those countries because then the media jumps and goes and, and creates more problem within the, those countries. But let me just say this, is that the critics of what we were doing, the far gay left, some of them have been hired by the Biden administration. Some of them work as the point people inside the State Department. And they are failing. They are not focused. They're not focused on decrim. They're focused on flags and and gay marriage in other countries. Uh, it's not working. They they are not having nearly as much success as we are. They might think that they're making progress by pushing some of these social issues, but uh, for those people who live in the sixty nine countries that uh, being gay is a crime, they they feel the the lack of support and it it's stark and i'll finish with this is that um we launched this uh thing called outspoken middle east and it's a uh, initiative that's in farsi arabic and pashtun and what we're doing is just educating people on the decriminalization issue and uh, i think we're the only uh, group that's that's doing this. It, we're trying not to to make this partisan. We're trying not to make this anything other than talking about the decriminalization issue, and we're having great success. So you're still working on it. We are still working on it, and our outspoken Middle East um, is a great uh, organization. We have a very small budget. Uh, we're always looking for money, um, but we have some really brave reporters. Um, secret ones that are in Iran, London, and uh, um, in Beirut. And so uh, this is this is an initiative that I think is um, proven to be incredibly effective. I can tell you just from my social media and direct messages and emails and texts that I get from people reaching out, uh, it is heartbreaking, Tudor. It is uh, mm. to hear the stories of people around the world who uh, will be arrested put in jail simply for being gay um, is, is an outrage to me. And, and the bigger outrage is to see the gay left uh, funding, you know, black tie events that make this issue partisan in America and charging a lot of people to wear a red ribbon. And, and none of that is. That's is, what I was just, I was just thinking that as you were saying, we have a really small budget. I'm like, how can that be? Because this should be where all of the far left folks are saying, OK, this is what we're about. But they're not really about that. No, this is not you know, the, 
the hypocrisy gets worse is because in the month of uh, June, when it's, you know, Gay Pride Month, we see, you know, Ford and Hewlett Packard and Coca-Cola and all of these global giant firms that fund the human rights campaign, which is a far left democratic activist campaign. They're not bipartisan at all. And all of the corporations fund these people. But you know what happens is uh, all of these corporations change their logo to a, a, a rainbow logo only in the United States. None oh, of them change really? their logo in the Middle East. They're all doing these huge um, programs in America to tell you how great they are on, on gay rights. But they won't even change their logo when they're working. So Dylan Mulvaney is not over there in like Egypt hawking Bud Light. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these people are the biggest hypocrites ever. But you know what? The HRC does their little rankings. They rank these uh, these corporations, you know, oh, you don't have a DEI program or how many trans people work at Coca-Cola and you get dinged. But if you pay, this is, why, this is where I think government should step in and say you can't discriminate against companies like this. You can't debank people for this. This is insane. How did we get here? Well, here, here's the thing that I think HRC and all of these other lefty groups that are clearly partisan in doing this are, are getting uh, tax breaks. So I think that if you are going to demonstrate that you're partisan like this, uh, the IRS should say you don't get the the tax exempt status. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe that that's only fair. Uh, these companies, you know, that that do this are are fake. Um, they they're hypocrites. Right? And they yeah. All be outed. I, I completely agree. I think it. I mean, I think it's ruining our country because it's destabilizing our country and it's not having an effect. There's, It's not having an effect outside of our country. I mean, I just can't believe what you just said about they don't do it anyplace else. What a joke. This is just silliness. Yeah, look, if these companies decided to really put their money where their mouth was, they could get rid of the criminalization of homosexuality Mm. pretty fast. Imagine if a whole bunch of companies came together and said to Egypt or you know wherever, um, we 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 can't work here unless you take away the criminalization of homosexuality. We're not asking you for gay marriage. We're not asking you to have a pride parade in the middle of Cairo or Ramallah. What we are asking you to do is not have on your books a law that says it's a crime to be gay. Now look, there are a whole bunch of more countries where. You know, people don't feel comfortable and there's different levels and and the activists can go crazy on that. What I'm trying to focus on are just the countries that have on their books a criminalization of homosexuality. I think that's wrong. Oh, my goodness. I know. And this is these are the things we don't even know about. No one talks about this. And and yet you have the media constantly talking about the issue overall, but no one talks about what actually happens. And I honestly think that that has led to a lot of these college students who are out there marching for countries where they would be murdered. It's it's so embarrassing. I mean, honestly, I think it's embarrassing when the other countries in the world are looking at us and they're like, who's who's going to tell them? You know, and you know what? That's happening. I talk to world leaders pretty regularly, and I have to tell you, um, they're all behind our back saying, What in the world has happened to Mm. America? I mean, 
some socialist leaders that I know have even said, oh, gosh, like I can't say anything publicly, but privately, they're just thinking this is a disaster for America. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what happens in 24? Look, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about uh, people being educated about world affairs and the economy and seeing literally seeing the difference between Joe Biden's economy and Joe Biden's foreign policy and Donald Trump's. And I'm feeling really good about that. I think a lot of people see it, uh, are reminded of it, are convinced of it now, but we got a long way to go. We got, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 10 months. uh, It's going to be a long and bumpy road. The other side uh, will will do whatever they can through mail-in ballots and phony voter rolls and all of the manipulation that they do. Uh, they will continue to do that. We have to be vigilant and we have to be aggressive about playing their game just as hard as they're playing it against us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been watching and it's interesting because you have 
the attacks against Donald Trump, you have the attacks against Joe Biden. But ultimately, the people here in the state of Michigan, for example, they're just trying to get through Christmas. I mean, I I was just talking to a girl this morning and she said to me, I cannot believe that we have to have another election already. I feel like we just went through this. And she said, it doesn't seem possible. But when I go to the store, I can tell I need a new president. And I thought, how interesting, because this is not somebody who is politically involved in any way. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I used to get my kids a toy on Christmas that I knew was one of those toys where they would open it and play with it for a few days and then probably not play with it much after that. And she said, no toys this year because I don't have the money to spend. She said, it is so expensive to buy everything. And the Biden administration is trying to tell us, oh, the economy is getting better. It's getting better. Everybody knows how much they're spending. Prices aren't going down. So I would imagine that has to be in the minds of a lot of voters out there this year. I think for sure, um, you know, gas prices alone, I think, could win this election because people have to fill up their tank. And they know that this is a direct policy of shutting down uh, as many options that we that we have, getting rid of uh, all of the above energy solutions, uh, creating higher taxes for fossil fuels. Everybody knows this and they see it in in the pump. So we do have a long way to go, but I, I do think that uh, more independents are getting outraged as to what's going on. And, and, and I know you work on the issue of voter registration, but if you, if you just remember like roughly 50% of society is not even registered to vote and they don't vote, um, I believe actually that that 50% that is not participating, that's apathetic, that's sitting on the sidelines, I think that we should engage them because they clearly distrust government and politicians and are, you know, over the whole system and don't they don't think that their vote matters. But if we engage them, if we drag people to be registered and then drag them to the polls, I think there's enough frustrated people that we just got to turn them turn them out to to vote and get rid of this crazy progressive uh, left policies. You know, things like sanctuary cities, Tudor. I mean, sanctuary cities is such a fun little positive name, but it's literally creating a space where you get to ignore immigration laws and you don't get prosecuted. Talk about undermining democracy. Eric Adams found out that wasn't fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, we've got to start hitting them, hitting back. um, And, you know, voter ID is is. 90% 90% of the public's choice, but yet we don't have it because Democrats call us racist if we push for voter ID. I mean, all of these things, we got to start fighting back harder. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that's, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I think there's a group effort. There's got to be a bigger effort, but then anybody that you know that isn't out there voting, go talk to them. Just go talk to them. But you've had a lot of success in California. Okay, before I let you go, last thing I'm going to say, are you going to flip more seats in California? Yes, we are. We, um, yeah, well, I'll say it this way. We, we know that there are a whole bunch of conservatives sitting on the sidelines and we're, we're trying to engage them and get them registered to vote. And when we have more people voting, I believe, uh, we'll have better policies. I think that's what, honestly, people have asked me what we think happened between 2016 and 2020. And if I look at the state of Michigan, they moved in a lot of groups that forced 
registers right reg- on the Democrat side. They got more voters, got more voters, got more voters. And we were not doing that. I think that some of us came out of 2016 and felt like, man, the country's really changed and we are just going to keep riding that wave. And then the Democrats went, man, the country's really changed. We got to get out there and get more people on our side. So they had just as many people who weren't voting, but they converted them. And now we need to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. As you know, I care deeply about Michigan. I'm watching closely and want, you know, I got a big Senate race there. Um, you've got the uh, Kildee seat. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's an open seat. I got a, I got a friend thinking of running there. Um, so I'm watching it pretty closely to see what happens. Yeah, we have uh, a lot of things happening in this state. And, and I think that the good thing for Republicans in Michigan is the policies that have been passed, the bills that have been passed this year by the Whitmer administration have been catastrophic for the state. That sounds terrible, but it motivates people when they see that energy costs are going to go way up, when they see that we're being forced into electric vehicles, and when they see that we have no jobs. I mean, her administration came out and said they don't Mm. expect any job growth until 2030, four years after she's out of office. That's catastrophic, but it ultimately is good for Republicans. So we need to make sure we let people know it's all about educating your friends about what's really going on and pushing them to go out there and and have their voice heard. Absolutely. Thank you for your voice. It's, It's important. Well, Ambassador Rick Grinnell, thank you so much for coming on today. All the best. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. Go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to fourpatriots.com/tutor to get your solar generator. Now you'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.